The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. A foretaste of things that we're going to be talking about tonight. If you hear anything and aren't distracted by uh, my cute little redhead that was up here earlier as kind of a mini Taylor Dunlap or mini, mini Great Pumpkin, that was my, my son Carson's first big moment in front of the inn. So you guys all got to be a part of that. My, my second son, Colin, we're actually going to baptize him this Sunday. We're really excited about that. If you'd, yeah, if you'd like to join us uh, here at UPC this Sunday at 8.30, I invite you to share in that with us. Obviously, we're, we're pretty uh, excited about that. So we come to the end of a series. We want to talk tonight a little bit about what does it mean to love yourself? Is it similar to what we saw in the video uh, that we just watched? We want to ask more specifically, what does Jesus mean when he says stuff like, love your neighbor as you love yourself? And so tonight we begin wrapping up a series that we've been doing here at the end where we've been trying to grasp this whole idea about the love of God that I believe is right at the very center of Jesus' teaching and thus right at the very center of the Christian life. My thesis as we got this started back in September was that if we really want to know who God is, if we really want to grow in our faith and dare I say, our relationships with our our friends, our families, our neighbors, then love and grasping this idea of love is absolutely necessary. But so often, because we've heard this before, we think we, we know how to do this, or because of a Hollywood reduction of the meaning of love, we tune out. And so my conviction is that as people who say we follow Jesus, we can do a much better job at being people who love and demonstrating that to the world. Now, over the past few weeks, we've outlined a few key ideas that I hope help us grasp this. A little bit of a review. First, before Jesus ever commanded us to love, God has loved us. God has formed us. He has hemmed us in from behind and from before. The great theologian Karl Barth, who wrote literally thousands of pages examining Christian theology, near the end of his life, he was asked, what is the greatest theological truth that you have discovered? And he simply responded by saying, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We then took a look at what it means for us to respond to the love of God by loving God. Janie led us through a look of Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which reminds us to remember God and what God has done and what God has asked. Janie made the compelling point that we really do this simply by showing up, showing up to be present to God. Um, as God has already made an effort to be present with us. Now, last week, Sherms led us through a look at what it means to love our neighbor. And I love the point that he made uh, when, he, when he said to us, loving our neighbor is as much about doing something with someone 
as much as it is for someone. Because we cannot adequately express our love to God, it seems that perhaps one of the reasons Jesus says, love your neighbor, is that it is really the only adequate response that we might have to God's love. So clearly, in, in learning what it means to love God and, our, and love our neighbor, the two clearly go together. What I want to do tonight is take a look at really what ends up being the last two words of this, this great commandment, as yourself. What does it mean for, for us to take seriously these words at the very end that would mean love your neighbor as you love yourself? Let's pray before we get started with that. Lord, truth. Let us hear truth tonight. Truth about us. Truth about you. Help us out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I recognize uh, that those of you who have been here every week, you might be getting a little bit sick of this text. Uh, But I can promise you that you need to hear it again. I've got almost a two-decade head start on most of you, and I need to hear it again. So let's, uh, let's, let's hear this one more time. This greatest commandment, as Jesus says it. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, here's an interesting note. This is the second time that Jesus has summarized the law in the book of Matthew. If we go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, we have this thing that is popularly referred to as the golden rule. For those of you who have been to New York City and have gone to the United Nations, there's an incredible mosaic there from Norman Rockwell that has this text on it from Matthew 7. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And again, he says, For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus likely brings it up twice in a relatively small amount of time because we need to hear it more than once. Now, some people have interpreted this passage as really a third movement of what Jesus is getting at. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. That it's not two things he's getting at, it's three things he's getting at. Now, I am not necessarily one of those guys. I think the reason that he puts the as yourself in there is really as a point of reference to make a point that this isn't just a good idea. This actually involves you. This whole idea of love is for you and it matters for you. What he's trying to do is take this idea of love out of the theoretical and actually make it very practical. Now, as both Chris and Janie have noted over the past couple weeks, Jesus is not making stuff up as he goes along. He's not intending to merely spit a bunch of good ideas here. He's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's trying to say, this matters. This has always mattered. And it matters for, to those people he's talking to in the first century. It matters for those of you in the first century, and I believe it matters for us today. Love is not merely a good idea. By saying as yourself, what he's saying is love is not merely a good idea. Love is a lifestyle. 
Love is a lifestyle concretely lived out as a response to God's love for us, as a response to the hope of God's love for us. Now, what can be difficult for us in interpreting and understanding this as you love yourself is that we have a lot of things that compete for our idea of what it means to love ourselves. We live here in the United States in a culture that values an individual entitlement. We are the only nation that I'm aware of that entitles ourselves to things like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing at all, but it's interesting that it really puts the individual at the center. It makes us kind of the king of our own kingdom. We live, no doubt, in a culture of advertising. You guys know this. Most researchers suggest that you would all be exposed on any given day to roughly about 500 advertisements. Each study says that you would be exposed to every day, mind you, okay? Every study says that, that at least 250, and some would say, depending on what your day looks like, that you would be exposed to as many as 3,000 advertisements on any given day. Whatever the, whatever the number is, there's no denying that we live in a world where views of loving ourselves are deeply influenced by advertising or deeply influenced by things or people or companies that actually have no relationships, no relationship with us. Some of the ads that I can remember over the years that kind of make this point, as many of you know, I'm, a, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I'm a big McDonald's fan. And their old tagline here, we, we've got some of these, you deserve a break today. Go hit up McDonald's. Okay, I know some of you guys love to hate on McDonald's and whatever, and you can keep hating, but usually you guys are the same people that the moment I show up with McDonald's fries, you're like, oh, can I have a fry? I feel like the haters always end up taking my fries. Burger King says the same thing. Have it your way. And, and I, that's nice of them to say, have it your way. They're making a big promise there that you can have it your way. But McDonald's fries are way better than Burger King fries. Let the debate begin. Okay, uh, there's also, of course, uh, advertisements, something like L'Oreal, because you're worth it. You are valuable enough to put our makeup on your face because you deserve to look a particular way. The, pl the place that might be, um, so all of these ads here kind of give you this sense of entitlement. You deserve a break. Have it your way. You're worth it. The other strategy would be things like diets and gyms uh, that, that will set you off. Of course, Weight Watchers, because it works to make you look a particular way. Gyms, this summer, I couldn't believe it. I joined, when I was down finishing my master's in California, I went and joined a gym. And when I got there, this guy literally pinched my side to see how much fat was there. I couldn't believe it. Okay, but, but what gyms do... Is, is absolutely fill you with anxiety. Mr. Church, what are your goals? How do you want to look when this is all done? Insinuating, you look like a pile of crap right now, okay? You are scrawny, you are skinny, and we got to get you on a new program. It fills you with anxiety about how I need, I need to look. 
So to love myself means I have to do everything I can to look a different way. These, these things lead, leave us at a place of thinking that it is a particular look. It is living a particular way, perhaps spiritually speaking, even giving a particular sin out of our life, and then I might be able to love myself. Often, this passage has been used as a type of justification for self-indulgence. Oh, I'm just trying to love myself. I'm not positive. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that's not what Jesus was calling us to. When Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself, he's calling us to something far more profound than a new diet. What I think is at stake here are two words that I think are very familiar to many of us. Those words are pride and humility. And to help us understand this, I, wanna, I want us to move beyond what our culture might say about what it means to love oneself, perhaps even to love our neighbor or love our God, and to see uh, maybe a little bit more about what the Bible has to say about this. Proverbs 16 famously says this, it, uh, looking there at, at verse 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. I Sounds like a pirate talking right there. Anytime I see the word plunder, I immediately think pirate. No doubt that the video that we saw as the talk started is an example of toxic pride. When I think of pride, I think about somebody being very prideful, somebody that might have an inflated view of themselves. Now, pride is no doubt one of those things that, that is easiest for me to judge in somebody else. Okay, for example, when LeBron James calls a press conference to announce where he is going to take his talents, it's really hard for me to like him. Okay, there's, there's a pride there. So as that, as, as that whole thing, for those of you that are sports fans, went down, I vowed that I would never root for the Miami Heat again. Now, I ended up backing up on that vow because I found that the only thing that had irritated me more than the pride of LeBron was the pride of the owners of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I ended up rooting for the Heat in the NBA Finals. But there is something about that, that, that pride um, that, that I found incredibly irritating. Now, I don't think anybody in this room, at least not that I'm aware of, is suffering from any LeBron-esque pride. But I do think that many in this room, including myself, have a pride problem. Now, LeBron's pride has to do with this inflated ego, you know, chest, chest slapping, look at me, look at me, look at me. What I see more in our community is not necessarily people thinking too highly of themselves as much as I think we tend to think too much about ourselves. This is the definition of pride that I want us to work with. Pride is less about thinking highly of yourself, and pride is really defined as thinking too much about yourself. By this definition, pride comes out when we are consumed 
with thoughts about what others might think of us. A, a kind of a competitive element. Now, here's the big irony in this for me. Yesterday, per a, a bit of a tradition that I have on Mondays when I'm going to be speaking here at the inn, uh, so, so Mondays are after I've met with the in-speaking team and after I've had a chance to, uh, to really read and, and kind of digest some of the other material about the text that I'm going to be preaching on here on a Tuesday night. On Monday mornings, I go to a coffee shop near my house and, and try and put the whole thing together. Well, yesterday for me was a brutal experience. I kept thinking to myself as I was sitting there, what can, I, what can I do to have everybody at the inn like me? What can I do to make them think that I'm smart and funny? How can I be the guy that solves the problem of pride in their lives? I'm going to take this talk and hit it out of the park. Okay, now perhaps you can see the problem with this. Okay, I'm getting ready to give a talk on pride, and what am I doing? All I'm doing is thinking about myself. Instead of thinking about you guys or even reflecting on, on what is this text saying, what's the voice of God trying to say to me in this moment, I'm thinking about how can I dazzle you all. And it wasn't until a little bit later in the afternoon where I believe I audibly heard the voice of God say to me in no uncertain terms, Get over yourself. Get over yourself and get out of your own way. Clearly, this pride thing at age 36 is something I still struggle with. Now, I get to grace a lot quicker than I did when I was 20 or even 25. But I still have to get over myself and get out of my own way. And really, I wonder if that's really the word for each one of us tonight. Get over yourself. Get out of your own way. And know and experience the love of God. Now, this is where things for me get a little bit crazy and how this whole pride and humility thing works. I wonder if one of the ways that God redeems our pride is to say, take the best of those desires that you do have for yourself. Take the, the, the best of the ways that you think about yourself and direct it towards your neighbor. It's almost as if God knows that we will use our imaginations to think about great things for ourselves, to, to imagine the, the great things that we want and that we might have. And in this commandment, he's saying, take those things and direct them outside of yourself. And that's how this turns into humility. I think humility is really the antithesis of pride. When we get to humility, what are we talking about? Great text from Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1, says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
What a great statement about humility. You see, sometimes we think about humility as humility being, being the, the one who thinks lowly of themselves. Perhaps it's the image of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Hey, gee, thanks for noticing me. Okay, humility is not necessarily being Debbie Downer or hating yourself. Humility means thinking accurately about yourself when you think about yourself. At a more basic level, at the level that I want to try and move us to tonight, humility is not thinking about yourself and getting outside of yourself. Now, at first glance, this may sound miserable. It may be easy to hear this and say, anything that I desire must be wrong. I'm not allowed to experience anything as pleasure. I don't think that's the case. So if that's where you're at, dismiss that. This is not merely about being a doormat. In fact, this is not being a doormat. This is a love that is robust and tough and radical because that's the way God loves you. And it's what Jesus is asking us to share with a world in need. In 1998, I got to go on World Deputation. And that summer, I turned down an internship, uh, or at least put on hiatus an internship that was really a dream for me with the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Turned down uh, these incredible opportunities that would have no doubt advanced my career, at least on paper. And in the end, as I would have advanced in that career, seemingly made me happy. At some point, I decided to go on deputation, get sent to the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And somewhere along the way, as I'm in the incredibly desperate conditions of the Republic of Haiti, I found myself going, this is living. I'm I'm actually really happy here. Now, I don't believe that this was because, um, you know, I was, I was living the posh dream in Haiti. In fact, it was far from that. As I said, the conditions were incredibly desperate. And I don't believe I'm standing in front of you in any way romanticizing the horrors of extreme poverty. What I do believe happened was that in that summer, I quit thinking about myself. I was noticing those crazy things that were happening around me, some that were very encouraging, some that were very discouraging. Certainly, I got to meet some people that I will never forget in the best of ways and the worst of ways. But it pointed me to something outside of myself. That was the gift of deputation for me. I found myself saying, this is living. And I actually feel good because I wasn't thinking about myself. I got caught up in the bigger picture of what was happening around me. Sometimes when people come into my office and they're they're talking about, look, Ryan, I'm I'm just not feeling it right now. I feel spiritually dead. I'm depressed. These things that that are very serious. But somewhere along the, the way, one of the questions that I often ask is, What are you doing for anyone else right now? How are you giving your life away? Go do something for someone else. 
and see how that makes you feel. It's a moment for us to get beyond ourselves. Jesus' invitation to love God and our neighbor as we love ourselves is an invitation, I believe, to humility. It is an invitation to see beyond the world that we can often get ourselves trapped in. So what does it mean? What does this mean for us to live into this idea of God's love? And not just an idea, but this lifestyle. Okay, two things I want to give you. It's midterms. I don't want to give you three. We're just going to do two. Okay, it means that we have, it means that you have something to give. And what you have to give is your life. What you have to give is being genuinely interested in someone else in a world of casual interest. What you have to to give is the chance to promote someone else other than yourself. It's a chance to be present with someone who is lonely, a chance to serve one who is in need. What you have to give is simply your life. And often it will be in ways that are way more subtle than spectacular. What we have to give is our lives. We can give away our lives. And in so doing, we begin to enjoy life for exactly what it's worth because we're not focused on what it's not. You have something to give, and that is your life. It also means that you have something to gain. What you have a chance to gain is the, the, that experience of living beyond yourself. The experience of being the actual hands and feet of God. Living into what it me- means to be the body of Christ. I really believe that what we have to gain is the opportunity to live a life that is more exciting than what we might see on television or in the movies. What we have to gain is a life that means living into thy kingdom come instead of my kingdom come. What I discovered in Haiti was perspective. What we have to gain is perspective. And I believe that when we gain that perspective, what we really gain is our life. The same thing that we've given away. One of the great mysteries of the gospel. In humility, we connect with the one who was perfect. With the one who lived his life not for himself, but for you and for humanity. And in humility, Jesus died for us. In humility, Jesus died for us. Again, from Philippians 2, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The humble God has called us to live humbly in this world, to love humbly in this world. As we close tonight, I want to give us a moment to reflect. 
And I want to invite you to be honest about, I don't know, a thing that you most desperately desire someone to do for you in the upcoming week. What's something that you would love for someone to do for you in the upcoming week? Does it have to do with some quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, etc.? Be honest about this. Then I want you to think about how you could put that desire that you identify, that thing that you would so desperately want from someone else, and think about how you might make that a reality for someone else. So we're going to take a moment of silence and reflect on this. And if we're to actually do this, I think it's an activity that gives us the opportunity to simultaneously experience the radical of love of God and also share that radical love of God. Let's take a, a, a few moments um, in silence and then I'll pray to close us and the band will come up and lead us in a few more songs. Let's, let's take a moment together. Heavenly Father, help us take this radical love out of the realm of idea and make it a lifestyle. Lord, give us the courage to actually love in the way that you have given us ideas for And Lord, as we do that, may we experience your incredible love for us. May we know that we are worth it, not because of some product, not because of something we've done, but that we are worth it because you have loved us. Uh, So Lord, give us strength. Continue to give us vision. and in fact, Lord, the courage to make possible the visions that you have just given us, that we may know you more. Lord, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.